Hello everyone. Welcome to our interview series on our podcast 5 steps ahead. This is Devika speaking to you from the Steel City Hamilton in Ontario. Today we will be sharing with you our interview episode with Dr. Romila Verma an environmental geographer who teaches about water issues at University of Toronto. She is originally from India, a PhD graduate from Delhi School of Economics. In this first of two part episode, Chat with the Geographer, Dr. Romila Verma talks about her education background and experiences working with water systems in different landscapes around the world. She elaborates on how the power of networking has played a major role in her many ventures such as the Trans Africa Pipeline project. Her message is powerful. Get out of your comfort zone, talk about your passion and go after your opportunity. Dr. Romila Verma, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for giving me this opportunity to talk to your audience all over the world. Um, you have really started this great program, this great idea and uh, I'm sure you'll take it to the next big level um, and I'm very happy to be here. Dr. Verma, I had the opportunity to talk to you through networking sessions and other coffee breaks in Starbucks. But for our audience, could you tell us a little bit about your education background, what got you started in this, and a little bit about yourself? Um, yes, uh, as you mentioned uh, earlier, Devika, I, uh, my educational background is uh, from India and Canada. I grew up, uh, I was rather born in uh, Kolkata. As you know, every Indian growing up in India will face some kind of resource scarcity and the it's it's we are surrounded by it. it's everywhere so uh, i did my undergrad postgraduate and phd program from delhi school of economics i was pulled towards into the field of environmental science and especially water um, because what i saw around me really intrigued me and made me interested in finding solutions why is there so much of disparity between haves and have-nots? Uh, things like social justice, climate change justice, that kind of started, that was something that I started questioning and I kind of gravitated towards this field in my postgraduate program. And for my PhD from Delhi School of Economics, I chose hydrology as my subject area. So it was basically hydrological monitoring and forecasting of uh, uh, certain parameters in the Mahanadi River Basin, uh, so one of the major river basins in eastern India. Uh, I came to Canada in 1994 after completing my PhD and I actually did another master's. And you remember this is 1990s when internet wasn't as booming as it is now. So um, I kind of gravitated towards doing a mas another master's in environmental studies from uh, University of Toronto. And I actually, uh, the research that I did was on uh, impact of weather variables on summer water use and municipal uh, water in the city of Toronto. And that was actually awarded the best research paper uh, in climate change impacts by Environment Canada. That kind of opened doors for me here in Canada 
And as every immigrant to Canada knows that you need to have some kind of Canadian experience. And the best way I thought for me to get that experience, even after doing a PhD, is to go back to school. And just to know more about environmental issues in Canada, which if I, you know, even if I apply for a, for a job, it's hard for me to understand the complexities uh, of uh, Canadian environmental system just by living here. So I, I decided to go back to school. And from there, I joined Canadian Institute for Environmental Law and Policy, and then joined University of Toronto in 2009. And I've been uh, teaching, researching, writing, and speaking about environmental and specifically about water issues since then. Dr. Verma, so you had your foot in the Indian environment talking about the hydrological parameters in the Mahanadi River and then you went on to do your master's in Canada where you helped develop a model in the Toronto city and you've also initiated a research project in Lake Simcoe. So having worked in three different areas, what are your opinions about the models that have to be developed in these three different places? and what are the differences in the weather conditions and now you're also the founding director for the Trans-African Pipeline based upon your experiences. What works in one country, what doesn't work? Can you give me an idea? Yes, this is a great question actually and very, very complex one because we are moving from India to Canada with very different and diverse climate system, uh, different government systems and programs, different policies and initiatives. So let me see if I can do justice to this question. Uh, I'll start off with India uh, and Mahanadi River Basin. So what I, I looked at was the health of the river system and the flow of the river system. So by calculating a model used by Conrad and Mather, um, I did the water balance calculation. And what I found is there is a strict regime, very much based on monsoon, till the month of uh, January to May, the river system is very dry. And starting June to uh, almost late September, there's a huge recharge coming into the river uh, and the sub-watersheds of the Mahanadi River Basin, uh, creating the surplus uh, in, in, in the system. And then starting October, November, December, basically the water system is ebbing. So what is happening in those regions is because, as you know, in India, our entire agri agriculture system relies on monsoon. And that's where the impact of climate change, the, any increasing temperature, the entire system is now being deflected. Either there's the late arrival of monsoon or early arrival. In both cases, it has a huge negative impact on our agriculture system. And actually, the, the, most people in the agriculture sector and the economic sector in India know that the real finance minister of India is actually the monsoon weather system because our entire system, our entire economy depends on the healthy inflow and outflow of monsoon system. So that's uh, one of the key areas that India needs to focus on and bettering their monitoring and forecasting capabilities and also um, how to deal with uh, this very erratic weather system that's happening right now. Coming to Canada and especially Southern Ontario, we are so fortunate 
to have access to all this fresh water. Uh, and that's what I tell my students, that we have to appreciate what we have. But on the other side, we also have to think about how we um, have bought into this myth of abundance in Canada. That, oh, we don't have issues. If you talk to people, we don't still don't think that water can be in, uh, can reach a crisis point. It, it is an issue. But the thing is, uh, it is if we are not careful. You asked me about my research um, in uh, the city of Toronto, the impact of weather variable uh, on summer water use in the city of Toronto. So my uh, parameters that I took were rainfall and temperature. If the temperature is 15 degrees centigrade, the water usage is pretty constant. As soon as there's one degree centigrade of rise in temperature, with every one degree centigrade, we use 13.9 megaliter of water more. So are we prepared with the rising temperature? Are we prepared to deal with providing our customers with, with that extra amount of water that will be required in the future? And with the rising population around the GTA, uh, we have to be talking about this. And this is where I want to give you an example of the power of networking. So after I finished my uh, master's and I got this award from Environment Canada, I took my research. I, I just went and talked to the people in, uh, in the Waterworks Department in the city of Toronto, presented my paper there, and they adopted a part of it, they modified it and used it uh, towards uh, running their own, own modeling system. So. This is how you engage with people. They are not going to come to you. You have to find your own source. You have to find who you can connect with, right? Who are your networking opportunities? You have to create it yourself. Hmm. Uh, so that's what I would say came out of, uh, uh, of that research. Uh, the other research you talked about was the Lake Simcoe. You asked me about that. So I was hired as a lead scientist to help um, a not-for-profit not group, Ladies of the Lake and Windfall Ecology, to clarify and modify and make the science behind water system and hydrology and lake system easy so that the Ladies of the Lake and uh, Windfall Ecology can mobilize the people to make that change, right? So this was a huge eye-opener for me, working for windfall ecology and ladies of the lake i could see the power of people mobilization and how, and how the citizens can actually change the destiny of their water system so they uh, wanted to know what is lake eutrophication so when they go to conservation authorities the reports they got was something that they were very puzzled about why is there so much phosphorus in water and why is phosphorus harming the lake why is it creating all these algal bloom and algal growth in our river system, in our lake system. So a group of um, scientists were hired to simplify the science behind water system. And that kind of was my segue into my book, is to simplify the science and bring it to people to make them understand what we are, going, we are doing to our weather system, to our water system, so that they can be empowered to take action and not wait for the government or other organizations to take action. People can change the destiny of their water system, of their environment themselves. 
So those are two different landscapes that we have dealt with, one a tropical and the other a temperate region. What about the Trans-African Pipeline? Because that region has an arid or a semi-arid climate. So what are the challenges that you face and what is the model that you have come up with or are planning to come up with that will suit that region? Moving from tropical to temperate to now semi-arid areas of, uh, of the Sahel region in Africa, um, uh, there's quite an interesting story about how Trans-Africa Pipeline came into fruition. I was lecturing in 2009 about um, water crisis and how different geographical regions will have different solutions. So I was, what I was telling my students that desalinization is a big thing in, in uh, Middle Eastern countries, parts of uh, the United States, but it shouldn't be the solution because we, that gives, them, gives us a false sense of security. Oh, let's take water from the ocean. One, it's very expensive, it can be invasive, and this shouldn't be the answer for our current water crisis. Uh, for example, in India, it's more of management and governance issues. But the only thing that will work in the Sahel region of Sub-Sahara Africa is desalination because we shouldn't tap into the groundwater in the Sahel region. There is not enough rainfall happening, so the recharge is not, not big enough. And it's something that we should say, groundwater is very difficult to replenish in most parts of the world. So let's save that for future generations. And so um, desalination could be the only option in that part of the world. So the countries that I'm talking about is in the western part, Mauritania, Senegal, Mali, Burkina Faso, Niger, Nigeria, Chad, Sudan, Djibouti, Eritrea, these are the countries just north of the rich tropical lush Central Africa and just south of the Sahara. So that so maybe 206, around 206 or 10 million people in that area and it's a very conflict-ridden zone. So um, as I was lecturing, a student of mine had just attended this workshop by Professor Rod Tennyson. At, uh, he's a retired professor at the University of Toronto and he was actually talking about is Trans-Africa um, desalination, a pipeline system. Uh, him and his wife had already, uh, Daphne Levers had already talked about bringing this kind of idea and he had nothing to do with water. So my student actually introduced me to Professor Tennyson. We met and since then we've been working very hard and we few more important people and uh, interested people coming into the Trans-Africa Pipeline Organization. Uh, actually, Professor Tennyson last year uh, was in Mauritania signing a memorandum of understanding to construct a desalination plant in Mauritania. So that was a big step towards the right direction. So we are talking about this 8,000 kilometer long pipeline with a almost 20 billion US dollar price tag. So that is a huge in itself. The scale is huge. So this was something that took me out of my comfort zone, uh, this kind of project. And we published a paper. Uh, we um, are now talking to different organizations, working on getting uh, seed money and moving forward and talking to different countries 
who are interested uh, in this system. But uh, because it's, it's, it's a huge project, it is going to take some time for us to move forward. So it must have been really exhilarating for you to have a student get up and introduce you to this retired professor who is coming up with this innovative project in a completely different region which you were just speculating and talking about in the class. So how did you feel about that and can you tell me a few other projects that you're thinking about or have imagined creating? So I will go back uh, to the power of networking here because that's how I got connected to Professor Rod Tennyson uh, through a student who was just there in the class who happened to attend uh, Professor Tennyson's workshop and connected us through email. And so you never know, never close any opportunities. Always be ready to talk about your passion, to talk about what you're thinking, right? Never be afraid to, to show your passion and enthusiasm in front of a crowd and you never know who is watching who is listening so I really strongly believe in that and also put yourself out there and go and attend these networking events for your own sense of self that you're out there talking to strangers because believe me lots of people have that problem where they don't like to put themselves in that uncomfortable position Right? And even things like public speaking, uh, standing up and speaking in front of audience, all these things through networking really helps you put you at ease. This then takes me to my present initiative. Uh, it's called Water Speaks, which is uh, an organization that translates the voice of water through research, education and action. With that, stay tuned for our part 2 of our interview episode, Chat with a Geographer. Next week on December 10th, Dr. Romila Verma will be talking more about the modules being developed for one of the workshops in WaterSpeaks and also career opportunities in the field of geography. Are you interested in more resources for career development? Check out www.careersinfinite.com for our podcast, 5 Steps Ahead and Career Reviews blog. If you like this episode, please rate it and subscribe to 5 Steps Ahead in iTunes or your favorite podcast app. We love to hear back from you. Share your questions or comments with us at www.careersinfinite.com. Thank you all for listening.